Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. I'd like to talk about sex and marriage. Now, if you have young children, you may want to watch this before you have them watch it with you. Uh, so I'm going to cover some things you may or not find them ready for. But I want to talk about things like, you know, why? You know, why did God make sex? Why is there marriage? I'd like to start off, first of all, by reading the uh, statement of beliefs from the Continuing Church of God, section called Biblical Marriage. The Bible only condones sexual relations in marriage, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 18 through uh, chapter 7, 1 through 5. Furthermore, Jesus taught that marriage is between one natural man and one natural woman, Mark 10, 6 through 9, as intended to be for life, Matthew 19, 3 through 9. Check also 2 Corinthians 7, 39. In the Bible, other sexual relations are condemned. Example, Exodus 20:14, Romans 1:24-32, Leviticus 18:22, Leviticus 20:13, Deuteronomy 23:17-18, 27 verse 21. As is transvestism, Deuteronomy 22:5, and improper attractions. You can check out uh, Exodus 20:17, Leviticus 18. Uh, 6 through 23, Leviticus 20, 15 through 16, Matthew uh, 5, 27, 28, and 1 Corinthians 1, I mean 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. The Bible clearly only authorizes uh, intercourse between a man married to a woman. People have wondered, you know, why sex and why marriage? People have also wondered about their responsibilities and what is allowed and what's not allowed sexually. I'd like to start off with a quote from Jesus. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to begin by reading verse 4. Jesus said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Uh, somebody who asked me some questions about the subject uh, recently made a few comments. I'd like to read a couple of comments that he emailed me. Now, I've known this guy for I guess, probably 30 years, plus or minus. And here's some things he wrote. The word, he's in the church of God. The word cleave is used which means to cling and adhere. The husband, having left his father and mother, now clings to his wife. This is done in part through God giving males a natural sex de sexual desire and attraction to females, which caused him to desire a wife, uh, even in an arranged marriage, as was done and still done in some societies today. As far as the two become flesh, the longer a couple stays married, the more they become one flesh in their thinking, in their hearts, and the way they view things. Now, the Bible shows that husbands have responsibilities toward their wives in marriage. You don't have to go there, but I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 3.19, which says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Now I'm going to go to Ephesians 5. You might want to go there, because I'm going to read several verses, starting verse 25. Ephesians 5, verse 25, the Apostle Paul wrote, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Now I'd like to read uh, something. We'll stay in Ephesians. Look at verse 33, chapter 5. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, in the Old Testament, from Proverbs chapter uh, 15, I want to read verses 18 through uh, 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. So those are things mostly directed toward males. As far as uh, some things directed more toward females, I'd like to start off with uh, something that's been misused. Colossians 3, verse 18. Husbands submit, excuse me, Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now many like to emphasize the submission aspect of uh, but notice that submission is as is fitting to the Lord. Therefore, there's clearly limits on how wives are supposed to be submissive. Now, we're in Ephesians 5. I want to go back there again. Starting verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And verse 33, the last part of it says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now I want to go to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Read some instructions in Titus 2, starting verse 3. The older women, likewise, that they be, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Okay, so what kind of good things are uh, older women supposed to do? They're supposed to teach that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be, be blasphemed. Now I want to go to... 1 Corinthians chapter 7, read some passages from the Apostle Paul, and we'll start here in verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to the husband, to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Well, same person I mentioned before sent uh, some comment about this. His comment was, this means as an example that even if you're busy, as most of us are these days, your spouse has to let you know they need you. If at all possible, you should give yourself to them. 
Now, while men and women have the right to decide if they're going to marry or not marry, and that's throughout Scripture, and we have an article about women in the New Testament church goes into that as well. If they're married, they are to have sex with each other. Uh, they're not allowed to withhold sex as a punishment or use it as some type of a weapon. Now, as far as the spouse having sexual authority over the other spouse, uh, we assert that 1 Corinthians 7, 4 is also an admonition that prohibits uh, uh, masturbation. Because that's an individual sex act that doesn't involve both the husband and wife. Now, a lot of what I'm going to cover in this sermon is going to be based upon a book that's based upon Scripture uh, called The Missing Dimension of Sex by the late uh, Pastor Terry of the Old Worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong. Not that he knows everything, but his way of wording things a lot of times I think is pretty clear, and I decided not to try to rewrite the book. Uh, and of course, I've been quoting various Scriptures and will continue to quote Scriptures. But he had a lot of insight, particularly into uh, the spiritual aspects and some reasons why God made marriage and, uh, and sex. So starting off in uh, my book, uh, starting on page 49, if you've got uh, this edition, it's from 1981. He says, original sex education. So, so here, once again, we're at the beginning. So he goes to Genesis chapter 1. Now this, when I read from Anything he wrote, it's going to be the uh, Old King James, not the New King James Bible. Anyway, Genesis 1, uh, he bounces around in the first chapter. But it says, In the beginning God created heaven and earth. It drops down to verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Down to verse 31. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God made humans male and female. He created sex. He said it was very good. It wasn't evil or shameful. It was a wrong use that becomes uh, uh, sinful. God created sex for use. He, had he not intended sex to be used, he wouldn't have designed it. Uh, in the angel family, God didn't intend sex to be used. He didn't design angels to be made male and female. They don't have sex apparatus, according to Armstrong. They perform no sex function. They don't reproduce. You can also double-check that with Matthew twenty-two thirty. It says, well, if that's the case, if God created human sex anatomy, he'd set it in motion, the sex stimuli, and the capacity for functioning, he did it for a purpose. And I agree, God did things for reasons, always. God most surely did not neglect his responsibility to reveal the purpose to the first man and woman. And we don't have every word in the book of Genesis that God said. It's kind of a summary of things. And again, God did command sex to be used for reproduction, about being fruitful and multiplying. Now, Herod Armstrong had a section called Special Meaning of Human Reproduction. And so we know that was one of the reasons. But that's far, far from the only purpose. Now, reproduction, of course, is common to animals and plants. But Herbert Armstrong correctly said, human reproduction has a sacred and God-plain meaning not applicable to any other kind of life. In humans, 
there is a tremendous awe-inspiring meaning and significance to the begotten birth that's entirely non-existent in animals and plants. Now, as far as purely physical functions of process are concerned, Herbert Song writes, reproduction is the same in mammals as in humans. It's basically a physical process. But there's a deep spiritually transcendent meaning in human begettal gestation and birth, uh, some of which we'll go into today, but not everything. Anyway, human children are begotten uh, through sex. I realize now they got test tubes and stuff to do it, but naturally it's through sex. And the very begettal period of gestation, birth, human baby gives us a picture of spiritual salvation and eternal life that's made possible through Jesus Christ. And that is, we teach that upon uh, conversion, uh, being baptized, have hands laid upon you and getting the Holy Spirit, you're begotten by Holy Spirit, and then you will be born again at the resurrection, which is again similar to the process with humans. The, the uh, parents have sex. Uh, sometimes an egg and a sperm get together, uh, forms a new life. So the, the baby has been begotten. Is gestation period. Gestation period is nine months in the mother's womb. Then the baby becomes born physically. And we believe the analogy holds in the spiritual side that we're begotten by the Holy Spirit in this age. We will be born again at the resurrection. Anyway, getting back to Herb Armstrong's writings, said another reason Satan seeks to deceive this world is because he doesn't want them to have the right understanding of sex. So this very blinding to the world, God's purpose of sex, Satan has hidden knowledge about God. God's actually a family in a divine kingdom. Instead, we've got uh, false morality, sometimes called new morality, sometimes it's called old. Human reproduction, Armstrong says, pictures spiritual salvation. All human life begins as a tiny egg called an ovum, produced inside the human mother. The ovum is about the size of a pinpoint. Inside it, when highly magnified, can be seen a small nucleus, but this ovum has a very limited life of itself. Some doctors and scientists believe it's life of about 24 hours unless it's fertilized by sperm from a male. But human life may be imparted to it by sperm produced in the body of the human father. The sperm cell is the smallest cell in the human body, one-fiftieth the size of an ovum. So it's pretty small compared to an ovum. The sperm, technically spermatozoon, or plural spermatozoa, on entering the ovum finds its way in and joins with the nucleus and imparts life, physical human life to the ovum. But it's not yet a born human being. Human life has just been begotten. For the first four months, it's called an embryo. After that, until its birth, it's called a fetus. Human life starts out very small, about the size of a tiny pinpoint. Once begotten, it must be fed and nourished physical food uh, from the ground through the mother. From this physical nourishment, it must grow and grow and grow until it's physically large enough to be born after nine months. And yes, I know sometimes it happens before then. As it grows, the physical organs and characteristics gradually are formed. Soon the spinal, spinal column forms, heart forms, uh, begins to beat, other internal organs, etc. And I'll say something he doesn't have in the book. With the brain, 
The brain is kind of like this when it first starts to form. But after 8 to 12 weeks or so, it starts to short out a little bit. And what ends up happening in babies that are male, there's more of the uh, uh, shorting out that occurs. So there's less connections between both halves of a brain. There's more connections between uh, both halves of a female brain. This is one of the reasons why, by the way, if a woman miscarries, most of the time it's going to be a male baby because if the shorting process doesn't go quite right, that's one of the reasons why uh, women will miscarry. But also, and this is a little off topic, one of the reasons that females are not dumber than males, because technically they have, on average they have smaller brains, is because women have more connections between both halves of the brain. So women, yes, they do use more of their brain than males, Males are better able to focus in general because they have less connections in the brain. So anyway, so all these things are going on during the gestation process. Okay, and then it gets to the point that it can be born. Then he says this is a type of spiritual salvation. You know, God said in Genesis that man is wholly comprised of physical matter from the ground. Genesis 2, 7 and 3, 19. Job said there's a spirit in man in Job 32.8. And as, as explained in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, no man could have human comprehension and knowledge except by the spirit of man which is in him. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11. Now the spirit essence isn't the man. It's something in the man. It imparts uh, power of intellect and physical brain. And it's something that animals do not have. That's one of the major differences between uh, animals and humans. The spirit, by the way, can't see, think, or hear. Physical brain sees to the eyes, hears to the ear, thinks with the brain. That the spirit acts kind of like a computer, Herbert Armstrong said, adding to the brain the, the psychic and intellectual power. And it adds to the humans a spiritual and moral faculty that animals don't have. The human life, however, is not supplied by the spirit. Human life is merely a temporary physical chemical existence caused by the breathing of air, circulation of blood, etc., etc. Man's life is merely temporary physical chemical existence. Now, going to another section of the, of the book, and uh, is he's got a section called The Divine Purpose of Sex, so we'll go to talk about this. Now comes the big truth about sex, Herbert Armstrong writes. It was designed and created in humans for purposes other than reproduction, for purposes totally foreign to animals and plant life. But the world has continued in unhappy, wretched ignorance of these glorious and God-bestowed purposes. And why? Then the section is called The Only Authority for Morals. This brings, again, to a striking truth, that, that the Word of God is the foundation of all knowledge God who's our supreme educator. The Bible is far from the total sum of knowledge, but it's the basis, the foundation, it's the starting point. Through God's instruction book, the Bible, we learn things otherwise humans wouldn't be able to learn or know. Without divine uh, revelation, people have been able to figure out, look, plants reproduce, animals reproduce. Uh, but because a lot of people don't want to believe uh, what this book says, they don't understand why human sexuality should be different than those of animals. Some, based upon uh, pagan concepts, have uh, concluded that the only purpose of sex was, uh, uh, for humans is reproduction. 
and uh, also uh, let me read something he wrote not understanding the real meaning and true purpose of marriage inheriting its concept from the Babylonian mystery religion some place marriage on a lower plane than celibacy of lifelong virginity today educators, scientists, psychologists, doctors uh, no set of moral standards rely basically on evolution and their own guesses on this and they don't understand uh, why there's marriage or why things began in the first place so they come up with theories they tend to consider the Bible antiquated, but if they would look at it, they would get knowledge that's basically not acquirable in other ways. So he has a section called The Second Purpose. Jesus taught the Pharisees precisely the same thing about sex that he taught Adam and Eve. The Pharisees, he said, now I'm going to read uh, Matthew 19, starting verse 4. Again, this will be from the Old King James. Jesus said, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause a man will leave his father and mother and shall cleave his wife. Therefore, whatever God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. For what causes a man to marry? Because God made them male and female? Because God created sex. Sex did not evolve without intelligence or purpose. It was by God's miraculous creation who made humanity male and female. God always has a purpose for what he does. And that's actually one of the things that attracted me uh, when I was a young teen, uh, 13 I think, uh, to the Church of God is I started reading their literature. And no, I was not reading their literature about sex. I didn't have any uh, at that time that I was aware of. I mean, they probably had some, but I didn't know about it. But the concept that God has a purpose for everything he does is a cause for an effect. The Ten Commandments make sense, etc., etc., uh, and speaking of that, by the way, I have a book. We have a book called The Ten Commandments, and any literature I hold up, uh, by the way, is free at the ccog.org website. Go to the literature tab, go to ccog.org, and you can uh, look it up. But uh, growing up Roman Catholic, I had no idea what the Ten Commandments' purpose were. Uh, there were a bunch of rules that much I knew, but uh, and when I attended with the Protestant Church for a while, I didn't really get much of an understanding. But from the Church of God, I did. And we have a book a, a book on it uh, for you that you can read as well. It's free. Go online. We don't ask you any questions. You just go and read it. Anyway, but God does have a purpose for everything He does. Uh, because God created sex, He ordained the marriage institution, and it's God who binds husband and wife, man and wife. Marriage, then, is a second name purpose of sex. Marriage is a physical union, but a divine institution. Almighty God ordained it and did not evolve. You know, in the scripture quoted, Jesus said to the Pharisees, haven't you read? He quoted some from scripture. He said that the Pharisees, Pharisees should have read it and should have understood it. It's part of, of uh, Genesis, is part of the Eternal's original instructions to Adam and Eve. Uh, Genesis 2, after describing Eve's uh, coming, God making Eve, he said, therefore a man will leave, leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, Genesis 2.24. Almighty God revealed the sacred marriage institution to the first man and woman. Now why marriage? Think about this for a minute. Why did God obtain, ordain the human relationship of marriage? Well, some just say, well, it's just for reproduction. Um, 
If it was just reproducing, there'd be uh, marriage wouldn't be necessary. God made animals, male and female, they reproduce, they don't marry. Marriage is not necessary to procreate. But understand this, we can, through sex, have reproduction without marriage. Indeed, what's one of the problems we have in the world right now is people don't think they have to be uh, married in order to do to produce children. And again, uh, animals reproduce, they don't marry, they're born with instinct, they don't really need teaching on it. Uh, and when, well, for example, like a, a calf is born, it gets, comes out, it's wobbly, finally figures out, it needs to go with its mother and, uh, and drink uh, milk. But a human baby, how long does it take it to even walk? Okay, he doesn't walk over to the mother and say, okay, I need to eat. It takes like a year or so. But the calf has instinct, they do it right away. Humans are just not the same. Uh, animals do not have uh, uh, a family life or a home life, although then for, you know, for a while they are with uh, their parents, uh, animals, until they go away. And the only purpose of sex for animals is reproduction, but for humans there's also a third purpose. We, purpose. we mentioned reproduction, we mentioned marriage. And Herbert Armstrong says, God's reproducing his kind. Man or humankind is the supreme, has the supreme potential of being actually born into the divine God family. God is composed of mortal spirit. While humans, like animals, we have you know material flesh. But the transcendent essential factor is that God is perfect spiritual character. It's the supreme intelligence combined with the holy righteous character of mind that most importantly distinguishes God from every other living creature. And yes, I'm reading this. Uh, some, sometimes it's easier for me to read as opposed to summarize things. No animal has this potential, but it's a true destiny of humans. Of course, God too... Uh, possesses uh, supreme almighty power, but without right character, this power would be destructive and dangerous. So what is this righteous character? I'm going to read this verbatim. It's that controlled ability in a separate independent entity to come to right knowledge of the true from the false, the right from the wrong, and by free choice to choose the right and the true, and further to use the self-discipline to will and actually do the right. And how to define right? By the spiritual law of God. This necessitates that each human being be an individual entity with his own mind, or her own mind, with freedom of choice, free moral agency. It requires mind power, intelligence, intellect, ability to absorb knowledge, to, to reason and to think. Inanimate objects don't have any mind. They don't make decisions. And animals basically have instinct, and they run off of that. But humans are born with minds. And humans must be taught or learned. They have some, some basic instincts. I mean, we have instincts in terms of eating uh, some things, but we need to learn. We And we can, uh, once we absorb knowledge, we can reason from it. And we can think and create plans. We have the potential to develop character, the type of character God wants us to develop. But, you know, when we're born, we're born without really any knowledge, which is just minor amounts of instinct. And we're born helpless. And we need tender care. And that's one of the reasons we have a father and mother around to help raise the family. And children are potential heirs of God. And so one of the reasons for the marriage is the family relationship. 
But there are other reasons. You know, we'll talk about why should humans marry a little bit. Now, we, the continuing Church of God, believe God made humans male and female as joint heirs, or as the Apostle Peter worded it, 1 Peter 3, 7, you don't have to go there, heirs together in the grace of life. Why? In order to give love in a unique way uh, uh, throughout all eternity. God made humans in order to give love so that there would be more love in the universe. And we have, I was looking over here because we have a book on this called Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God create anything? Why did God make you? Uh, people in the world do not understand this. People most of the churches of God only know part of this. So this booklet is free again at the ccog.org uh, website. Marriage is a process that helps us learn how to uh, love, receive love, and to give love and to build character so we can give love to make eternity better for everyone. Again, more about that's in here. Marriage itself is a God-plane relationship. So let me read something her our song wrote. Again, the authority is the Bible, but when he, he teaches, say, when he, he's teaching things consistent with the Scripture, it's one of the reasons I'm doing this. Plus, again, I think he words certain things better than I do. So instead of trying to rewrite something that I thought it's fine, I'm using a lot of what he's got here. He says, grasp this colossal truth if you can. Here's the greatest truth that uh, you can ever know. Man, humans, and humans only, of all life form God's created, can be born in the God family into the kingdom of God. Now, there may be other truths but uh, that are super important to know, but anyway, this is what he'd written here. His animals has never been given uh, a true family relationship. Angels have never enjoyed family status. A family relationship is a God-plane relationship and not an angel-plane relationship. God bestowed it on man because human man is to be born into God's family. This is a relationship Satan can't have. He seems to be jealous of it and hate and have hate toward, towards humans because of this. And he does not want you to be faithful to your spouse. Now I want to go to 1 Peter 5. Starting verse 8. New King James. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roar, as a roaring lion, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That means you, if you can. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know, Christians need to realize that Satan wants us to violate God's laws. One of which, which is known as the Seventh Commandment, talked about in more depth in this book too, you, Exodus 20, verse 14, you should not commit adultery. Now I want to go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Read something the Apostle Paul wrote. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The idea of adultery should repulse people. It certainly repulses me. Yet it's uh, the, because basically adultery is damaging to your body, amongst other things, and your mind. Intercourse with someone other than your spouse can result in disease as well as unwanted pregnancy. Now, the carnal world solution to this is abortion, particularly privately, so no one has to know what you did, murdering an unborn child. Now, even if pregnancy doesn't occur, the shame and betrayal of adultery is of enormous uh, magnitude. You're betraying trust. If your spouse, the one you're supposed to be your partner for life, can't trust you, 
No one else should as well. Don't commit adultery. Now, I want to go back to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5. Starting in verse uh, uh, 15. I read some of this before. This is an admonition against adultery, amongst other things, but particularly that. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad? Streams of water in the streets? This is an admonition against adultery. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. So, no one night stand type things. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice as the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Again, this is against adultery. Proverbs has other admonitions against adultery in chapters 2, 6, 7, and 22. Now, um, one subject has come up from time to time has to do with, uh, uh, we talked about breasts, etc. People ask about oral sex. I'm going to read something that the uh, Worldwide Church of God concluded on this subject. This is from the Personal Correspondence Department uh, uh, letter uh, 297. Nothing specifically written in the Bible to condemn oral sex within marriage if both husband and wife are fully in agreement, expressing intimacy in this manner. God's law of love would certainly rule out oral sex if either mate finds it objectionable or if it's the likelihood of causing bodily harm exists, as would be the case if, let's say, one mate has genital herpes, for example. Therefore, no Christian should demand oral if his or her mate finds it offensive. It's not a necessary element for good sexual adjustment in marriage. Oral sex is a matter of concern only between the husband and wife involved. If both enjoy an expression of marital love, it may properly fit into their lovemaking practices. But if either partner has any hesitancy about it, it will not add to the pleasure of the relationship. It should not be used. Every mate, mate certainly should refrain from anything that would be offensive to the other. So that's that position. And uh, that being said, however, we do not consider that oral sex is pro- appropriate for unmarried people to participate in. Uh, the you know, Worldwide Church got also concluded various uh, positions for sexual intercourse, presuming they aren't harmful, uh, were fine, and it's not up to the church to determine how uh, marital couples should express conjugal love with each other. You can read, for example, the Song of Solomon's, which mentions various aspects of lovemaking between a man and a, a husband and wife, and there's also pro- passages in Proverbs 5. Scripturally, most non-harmful things that a couple would figure out to do would not be prohibited. Now, as far as uh, sexual restrictions go, we assert that uh, anal intercourse is prohibited according to Scripture. Medically speaking, anal sex is neither healthy nor safe as it increases the risk for tissue damage and infection. Now, I realize that modern agenda, they try to ignore that. Biologically speaking, vaginal tissues were intended for marital intercourse and are much stronger than anal ones which were not intended for that purpose. Furthermore, unlike a vagina that can naturally lubricate upon sexual stimulation, that's not the case with uh, anal tissues. So let me read something from uh, medical news today on that. The anus lacks the cells that create the natural lubricant the vagina has. It also does not have the saliva of the mouth. 
The rectum lining is also thinner than that of the vagina. Lack of lubrication and thinner tissues increases the risk of friction-related tears in the anus and rectum. Uh, anal intercourse is wisely biblically prohibited. The New Testament opposes being a sodomite in uh, 1 Corinthians 6.9 and 1 Timothy 1.10, which is being engaged in uh, uh, anal intercourse or going after strange flesh, as Jude 7 puts it, or do what's against nature, according to Romans uh, 1.26-27. It's also con- consistent with various uh, admonitions or condemnations in the Old Testament. I'm not going to refer to those scriptures. But we do have an article on this at the ccog.org uh, website. Uh, for my notes, what I'm going through today. Biblically, any other sexual activity that would permanently harm someone would also be prohibited. You know, the Bible says in Romans 13.10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Well, what about watching pornographic videos? Well, that would be prohibited for several reasons, including but not limiting to uh, metal adultery. Furthermore, I'm going to read Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed defiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Well, the bed undefiled is one of the reasons why we believe God allows people to do almost whatever what they want. There's, again, some limits. But anyway, pornographic intercourse almost always is involving fornicators and adulterers. Hence, it shouldn't be encouraged. Furthermore, males viewing pornographic videos tend to get unrealistic views of female sexual response uh, that their wives simply can't fulfill and this causes problems. Additionally, females, they watch uh, pornographic films, they get unrealistic views of female sexuality. Uh, Their husbands aren't going to be able to perform for them to have the same responses. That causes some problems. Also, sometimes it makes uh, people, male and female, feel that uh, they are uh, sexual failures. Pornography objectifies people. It doesn't aid in spiritual development. And we... uh, I've done a sermon recently about uh, pornography. Anyway, married couples can have a long and pleasant sexual life if they hold to God's laws uh, related to sexuality, and then you should not be watching pornographic videos. Now, someone who watched uh, one of our recent videos called uh, Pornography, Jesus, and the Bible had a few comments that I want to read because I thought they were interesting. He wrote, Sex in marriage is a gift from God. It helps cause the couple to overlook, forgive, and forget flaws in each other as is, as is necessary in a successful marriage. But that same effect also causes unmarried couples to do the same thing, overlooking flaws in each other that they should not be overlooked when they're considering a potential spouse. So one of the reasons you shouldn't, be, shouldn't fornicate before you get married because then uh, you might say, okay, I'm going to marry anyway, but you overlook problems that maybe you would have seen if you weren't being involved in fornication. Today we hear things like adult entertainment or for adults only, as if adults can responsibly handle this. Do not be fooled. Adults cannot handle it. They are not immune from the psychological and spiritual effects of sexual relations. It changes the way they view each other. And uh, I, I agree. Now the Tenth Commandment of the Bible says... This is from Exodus uh, uh, 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, start in verse 27, You've heard it that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I have said to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So you're not supposed to dwell on others and desire sex with one you're not married to. Now, I'm getting back to some parts of uh, this book again. So of all life forms, whether plant, animal, or angel, in God's creation, humans alone were created for marriage, for home and family life. Humans are composed of matter, yet in humans, and humans only, is God's creation still going on. Humans, by repentance, surrender to God, and acceptance of Christ, may be in mind and attitude converted, and may receive God's Holy Spirit. Thus they are actually begotten as God's children. They may have direct communion with God and call Him Father. They are brought into the Father-Son relationship with God. This is possible for no other creature, not even angels. Angels were not, never can be, begotten and born of God. Each angel is a separate creation. No angel can become part of the divine family or kingdom of God. Well, they'll be in the kingdom of God. Notice of angels, he's quoting uh, Hebrews 1 verse 5 here, God says, For unto which the angels, as he at any time said, You are my son, this day I have begotten thee. And again, I will be to call, be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Neither uh, animal, angel, or any other human being except humans can be literally begotten by a spiritual reproductive process and then actually be born in the divine family of God. And he says this is a matchless, supreme, awe-inspiring, breathtaking potential. And that's true. But it goes further. The human family relationship demands the husband and wife relationship. And that demands marriage and faithfulness to that marital bond. The church of God is merely that body composed of begotten children of God. And the church as a body is the affianced bride of Christ to marry Christ at the time of the resurrection and his second coming. So there's also the uh, divine marriage relationship. Now understand the husband-wife relationship and the family relationship are God-plane relationships. They are not animal-plane or angel-plane relationships. Since humans were put on the earth for the very purpose of being begotten and born in the family of God, which is the kingdom of God, the eternal has endowed the God-plane relationship for humans and for humans only. What a privilege to be human, to be given the marriage relationship now, but later to marry Christ and become part of his family. Now I want to go to Malachi chapter 2 for several reasons. I'm going to start with verse 14. It says, Yet she, that's your wife, is your companion, and your wife by covenant. Okay, your wife by covenant means uh, there's some kind of an agreement or ceremony that's happened. And a covenant is uh, supposed to be a lifelong covenant. Verse 15. But he did not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit. And why one? Let me reread re- read that. It emphasizes it wrong. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? And why did God make male and female one? He, that's God, seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Godly offspring. Married Christians of proper health and reproductive age are to have godly offspring. Producing godly offspring shows that this is an important aspect. I mean, this is an important aspect of the God-plane relationship that human 
husbands and wives can have. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to produce as many children as biologically possible. But you know, God is reproducing himself. And deification is what will happen to Christians at the first resurrection. And we've got sermons about deification as you can watch. And early Christians taught this as well. Married couples produce children who have the potential to become deified as part of God's family. Fornicators and adulterers, they're not interested in that. Their focus is on themselves and lust and not things above. Now, back to uh, uh, this book again. It's a section called The Affianced Bride. Affianced Bride? I'm sorry, I stumbled over some of these words. Anyways, there's another vital reason for the institution of marriage and human family. That's to teach us, to constantly remind us of the sacred relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to quote Ephesians 5 uh, quite a bit. Uh, You might want to go there, starting verse 22. He says, this is the vital teaching. Wives submit yourselves and your own husbands to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, is Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body. Then, therefore, the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Then, verse 25 and 6. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the uh, washing of water and by the word. The word, if obeyed, that's the word of God, washes away error. He's continuing here, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, glorified, deified, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish, so that men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. We are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. This is referring to Jesus. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined his wife, and two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Armstrong writes, Notice for this cause, because the coming marriage spiritually between Christ and the church, because the church is now the affianced bride of Christ, bride to Christ, for this reason God ordained the marriage institution for humans, but not for animals and not for angels. Notice Revelation 19, verse 7. Speaking of the second coming of Christ in glory, the marriage of the Lamb, Christ has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Only those made ready in righteous character will be presented to him there. Next section, why home and family? In addition to the family relationship, there's also the divine marriage relationship. So understand, the husband-wife relationship and the family relationship are God-plane relationships. They're not animal-plane or angel-plane. Humans are free moral agents. God never forces one to be truly converted, to become his begotten son. Yet the purpose of God is working out here below is to reproduce himself, to bring through Christ many sons to glory, as it says in Hebrews 2, verse 10, into the divine kingdom of God. Since humans were put on the earth for this very purpose, being begotten and born into God's family, the eternal God has endowed this God-plane family for humans now and for humans only. This God-plane family status. What a wonderful privilege to be given the marriage and family relationship that we may be prepared for the spiritual marriage to Christ and the divine status for eternity into the kingdom of God. 
Here's a question people probably wondered. But was sex really necessary? We've covered two vital purposes related to sex in humans, procreation and marriage. And these mean a God-plain family relationship. But now comes a question, do these really need sex? There's a big question about sex. We need to look further into the family relationship that constitutes the kingdom of God and the betrothal relationship between Christ and the church. God has given humankind the institution of marriage and family to prepare us for eternity of happiness and joy in his kingdom. As I say, we talk about that here, and we also have a book called The Gospel of the Kingdom of God. What, just what, then, is the basis and the foundation of the family relationship? Well, that basis is love. Of the character attributes of God, the very first and greatest and most important is love. Above all, God is love. 1 John 4.8, 1 John 4.16. The very first attributes of God expressed in the fruits of the Holy Spirit is love. You look in Galatians 5.22. When this very God life is infused within us by His Spirit, this is the love of God. Now he's quoting Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thus, in first begetting us, God infuses us with the divine gift of His love. The divine family relationship is a love relationship. The tie that holds the divine family together is a tie of love. Now, he's going to quote 1 John 3, 3, 1 and 2. It writes, To those thus begotten by God and converted by His Holy Spirit, Christ says through John, 1 John 3, starting verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, begotten, and it does not yet appear what we shall be when born, but we know that when He, Christ, shall appear, we shall be like Him. We'll see Him as He is. Even now, converted, begotten uh, children of God have spiritual fellowship with the Father and the Son. 1 John 1.3 so the family relationship, both on the divine plane and in human type now, is a love relationship. And God implants within His begotten children His divine love to equip them for that divine love relationship. Likewise, a betrothal, husband and wife-to-be relationship between Christ and the church is a love relationship. And he went again and read uh, Ephesians 5 about husband's life, wife, etc., and uh, I've read that two or three times already, so I won't do it again. For what cause does a man to marry a wife? For what purpose? Well, that of love. The betrothal relationship between Christ and the church, of which marriage between humans is a type, is a love relationship. What God made physically, there are spiritual lessons. People think, God, these things are just random. No, they're spiritual lessons. Anyway... Uh, he mentions that uh, Jesus said God made a male and female for this cause the cell of man and woman marry. You know, then he says because of uh, sex they marry. So we have two scriptural reasons for marriage, love and because of sex. These are not contradictory reasons. They blend into one to express love through sex. Sex are created not only as a means of reproduction and bringing about a family, but in humans as a means of expressing love in marriage. And then what's love? There's different kinds of love. In the modern world, basically it means uh, lust. 
the Greeks had uh, three different words for it. One was agape, which means moral and spiritual love. This is the love God expresses toward humanity. This is divine spiritual love supplied by God's Holy Spirit. The natural unconverted uh, mind does not have this love, but God longs to fill people with it if they'll surrender and believe. And if God's calling you, uh, hopefully you will respond. We just we recently had a couple of sermons about that. Second type of Greek word, or second Greek word is uh, philia, or philia, Philadelphia, and it means love of friendship, brotherly love, love of the parent and child. Uh, and some say it also blends into agape. Now the third is eros, which is uh, sexual love between uh, husband and wife, but also tends to be used to mean lust and that kind of stuff. Herbert Armstrong has his, this definition of love. He says, Love is an unselfish, outgoing concern for the good and welfare of the one loved. Love is primarily on giving, serving, sharing uh, side of the fence. Not on the getting, taking, factional, striving side. It's not selfish. And you can read about that in 1 Corinthians uh, 13. Anyway, as far as God and love, you're all familiar with John 3.16, or should be. We probably are. He quotes it here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ is God, one of the divine persons who, possess, who composed the God family. And now he cites Romans 5.8 and Romans 5.10. So let me read that. As I said, I'm reading a lot of what he's got, but he's got a lot of scriptures in here. God commends his love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. How did Christ express his love for the church? He gave himself for it. Love is unselfish. It's not an emotion, though it might be uh, expressed with emotional content. True love combines the rational aspect of outgoing concern desire to help, give, or to serve others, or to share, along with sincere, concern, affectionate feeling. William uh, Graham Code, in his book, Sex in Christianity and Psychoanalysis, drew an interesting distinction between true mature love and infantile love. Uh, the latter is primarily emotional, thoughtlessly selfish, seeking its own gratification, like puppy love. It doesn't love one another as he is, or what he is, but what he or she is imagined or romantically desired to be. It's an illusion, says Cole. And that's the standard of diet of infantile love. It's like the poets say, blind. Cupid appears appropriately enough in diapers, or for the British readers, nappies, he writes. Mature love is not blind. It has progressed from... Uh, Pablum to Porterhouse. And as Jesus said in uh, Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than receive. That's a true statement which many humans are ignorant of. Carnal humanity is bent on getting and taking and having. The average person selfishly and primarily is interested in gratifying the desires of his five senses without concern for others. Now, all sense enjoyment is not sin. The five senses do cry out for gratification. We're made of flesh and matter, and we can get pleasurable sensations through the senses. Some of the uh, uh, 
aesthetic uh, Greco-Roman church fathers were opposed to such things, but uh, that they don't always they came up with ideas that they really got from, from paganism on there. God tells in this word that our senses should be exercised by use so we can ex- uh, distinguish the good from evil, and that's Hebrews 5, verse 14. Our senses are in our bodies to be used, but not to be misused. And that's the problem with those who want to walk according to the flesh. God created us so we would need food to eat and equipped us with a sense of taste. Uh, and smell so we would enjoy it. So um, we use this particular uh, sense and we should be thankful to God for the food that he provides and I think it's fantastic that we can enjoy it but we also have to have some restraint on this. Because if you overeat and become obese the Bible warns against that. And in like manner, it's possible to receive a lot of pleasure from looking at things and appreciate things that are beautiful, but you're not supposed to uh, lust uh, on somebody that uh, you're not married to. You're not supposed to look lustily upon them. God gave us a sense of hearing. And, you know, a lot of things you can hear can be good. Uh, We believe that fine music was originally actually created by Lucifer. But when he fell... If you want to call it that, he was corrupt and perverted. Uh, then he came up with all kinds of things that people shouldn't be listening to. Now, in in love, God equipped humans with the five senses to supply humans with uh, enjoyment and pleasure. And but people can use these in the wrong direction. The privilege of having things is you have a responsibility. It's part of the character building process. You see, what do you mean, responsibility? Well, for example, let's say you were born, you, you got, you can see. Some people were born blind; they can't see. You have a responsibility if you can see, to, for example, move, remove stumbling blocks from the blind, but also not to lust after others, etc. You know, having eyes is not a sin, but it's wrong use of them could be, or would be. God intended humans to be happy. It's God's will that we will enjoy life that be pleasurable, satisfying, and wholesome and rewarding. But also that we will endure uh, tests, temptations, and trials so we can build character. So we can learn to distinguish the true values from the false. Not to decide on our own what's right and wrong. The right use of senses brings enjoyment, pleasure, and it's helpful. The wrong use, you can get various diseases uh, that that can harm you. And how do we know right and wrong? From the Word of God. And again, we go over this in various pieces of literature that we've gotten. Uh, for example, uh, this one of the Ten Commandments. See, there's another one. Yep, the other one I wanted to grab. I must not have had it up here with me to, to hold it up. But this gives some some ideas. Okay, God's law is a way of life, and we want to. Uh, do things God's way. Ten Commandments show love toward God and love toward neighbor. And that's why we should obey. And we're supposed to love God and it says in 1 John 4.19 we love Him because He first loved us. And the we talk about here are converted Christians. 
When we love God, it's merely His own love on a return circuit. We give back to Him. It's God's Spirit is active and flowing. And I'm not going to go into uh, love toward neighbor and all that kind of stuff. Uh, marital love. Uh, God didn't create humans out of spirit. We made us physical. I mentioned about the three types of love. And in His divine wisdom, God knew that the supreme purpose required humans to be made first at the material level as a physical being and then with all the senses and God's purpose for humans unlike animals etc was enjoy the blessings of marriage and family to have an actual God plain relationship marriage relationship is a love relationship unconverted ones only possess or express physical love in marriage uh, uh, through sex uh, Adam was created when we were born, uh, one human spirit imparts the physical intellect into our brain. But humans were made to need another spirit, the spirit of God. Uh, but people have uh, sometimes gone the wrong way. Uh, Adam chose to go the wrong way, for example. But love is God's way. Physical love and marriage relationship brings joys and delights. The Creator, in His wisdom, knew that sex was necessary to preserve the marriage and family relationship and real love. God knew what He was doing. God's answer to those unhappy early religious fathers in their chaste severity is, and He quotes uh, Isaiah 45, verse 9, Woe to him that strives with his Maker, shall the day say to him that fashioned it, who made it? Shall the clay Say to him that fashioned it, who made you? And then he quotes uh, Isaiah twenty nine sixteen. Surely your turnings of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay, for the work say of him that made it. He shall make it not. So the same that frames that thing frames say of him who framed it. He has no understanding. Of course, God had understanding. God made sex. He knew what he was doing. God, let me read again from here. God designed sex to produce pure, righteous, clean, holy, and rich blessings. He made it to be the loving bond, which would not only inspire properly mated couples to marry, but which preserve the marriage and love and raise a family. Sex should be the energizing magnet to draw, draw constantly closer and closer together with increasing love, a husband and wife, to heal over those little irritations, disturbances, misunderstandings which happen. Yet this very uh, bond should be a very tight cord, but some misuse it, pervert it. But we're supposed to save sex for marriage. It's the way God intended it. Now statistically, by the way, one of the best things a woman can do to prevent divorce is to be a virgin when she's married. Now that's not simply some old-fashioned idea. It's supported in the 21st century. Uh, we mentioned this also in a booklet we have on dating. But it uh, says divorce rates have gone, they go up, but the ones uh, who are virgins, women are virgins that are married, married, when they get married, are less likely to, get, much less likely to get divorced. And that's always been the case. Uh, many reasons for this. One is probably a man's attitude for a virgin bride. It shows she's not been involved with others. It also helps them have, people have more trust in each other, etc. And yes, the males should be virgins as well. Uh, 
God commands uh, on a sex love. I've quoted some of these scriptures before. Uh, but the Bible's explanation of uh, one flesh is explained, he says, very clearly in 1 Corinthians 6.16. 6, and so, concerning fornication between a man and a harlot, it also says, so we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 6, starting verse 13. Now the body is not for fornication. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, verse 19. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. What Know you not that he who is joined a harlot to one body? For the two he says become one flesh. And we see in verse 18, a flea fornication. It's supposed to be one flesh. A man and woman. Uh, any woman, even a harlot, become one flesh through sexual act. A man and harlot aren't married, but in coitus they're one flesh. And this is condemned. So the Bible is pretty clear about that. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 19, uh, 16, as far as uh, marriage goes, uh, what God has drawn together, put no man asunder. So uh, uh, divorce is, uh, should not happen. There are some circumstances, but very few, that are allowable. We're not going to go into that now. Marriage is ordained for God. By God, sex is supposed to be in marriage. Throughout the Bible, God condemns uh, lust, uh, and sex between anybody other than a natural male and a natural married female who are married together. Uh, what if you've uh, had problems? Uh, Paul wrote down that uh, the unrighteous will not receive the kingdom of God. And he goes through things, fornicators, adulterers, effeminate, abuse themselves of mankind, blah, blah, won't inherit the kingdom of God. But he also says that they can be forgiven. So if you've made those kind of mistakes, you can be uh, forgiven. Now I'm going to go back to uh, uh, his book. And First uh, Corinthians uh, uh, 7 says verses 1 through 2. Now concerning the things which I wrote you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, every woman their own husband. Notice, every man and woman should marry. Why? Because it's a sin to remain single? No. Uh, but to uh, uh, to avoid fornication, uh, to have to be married, to beget, beget children. It's good not to touch a woman if you're not married to her. Okay, so we want to avoid fornication, which is sin, of course. Then verse three says, "Let the husband render to his wife due benevolence." We talked about that, and the wife's the husband. So, some of the things that he's got in here, he somewhat repeats. And I thought I edited some of these out from my notes, but I've got a little more of in there. I want. He mentions, uh, again, that the uh, uh, Word of God is the foundation of uh, all knowledge. And that God's ways are perfect, and His ways are ways of love. And there's some biological differences uh, between humans and uh, animals who are female. Uh, for some, some ways, the reproductive process is the same. But there are, there are other ways where things are, are different. Uh, 
One is that uh, uh, animals don't generally go through a menstrual cycle like uh, uh, women uh, do. Human women do. Uh, there's a couple of species that have something kind of like it, but it's not really quite the same. So this is uh, different. Uh, animals, human, I mean not animal, human animals. Animals uh, have writing periods and stuff, and that's different. And for, for animals, sex is for reproduction. Humans don't have a, a, a writing period uh, like that. Now, uh, one thing uh, that he, he mentions has got to do with uh, uh, marital coitus should never, of course, occur during menstruation. Uh, but there's no time where a man and a woman are uh, virtually are, are sexless, means incapable of having sex, whereas animals, uh, human females, animal females uh, uh, won't do it at certain times. Uh, and as far as uh, sex during menstruation, I'm going to read from uh, the Leviticus 15. Uh, Verse, starting verse 19, and this is from the literal standard version. And when a woman who has discharging, the blood is, is her discharge in her flesh, she is in her separation for seven days, and let anyone come against her is unclean until the evening. Verse 24, if a man really lies with her in her separation time, then he's been unclean for seven days, and all the bed she lies is unclean. This is also referred to as something not to be done in the book of Ezekiel. And even the Roman Catholic Church admits that uh, early Christians did not believe that they were to have sexual intercourse uh, during a woman's menstrual period, uh, basically during the time of flow. Didn't limit to seven days, but anyway. Now, interesting. I found something at the National Institutes of Health on this. It basically, that medically speaking, intercourse during menstruation increases the risk of tissue damage for more bleeding, as well as the risk of infection. And so, let me give you a quote: Vaginal intercourse during menstruation is a possible risk factor for the development of endometriosis and other issues. And again, that's according to a paper uh, published by the U.S. National Institute of Health. Another reason to not have uh, uh, intercourse then, from, uh, particularly from the Old Testament perspective, was to increase fertility and conception because human females are normally not capable of conceiving during that period of time. Getting back to... Uh, 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 some things from this book again. God made woman as well as man on a plane infinitely higher than animals. He created sex in humans as a means of bestowing reciprocal love. He created women so that their sex organs may be used for the purpose of sharing love when pregnancy is virtually impossible. Animals don't marry. Why then do uh, people refer to human lust as animal passion? Why do some women say men are brutes? Why insult the animals? They only do what God told them to do by instinct. In, in women, sex is a love stimulant. Women can and usually do engage in sex as a love embrace, even at times when pregnancy is impossible. Female males cannot, or they do not. Once a female animal is served by a male, there's no love embrace, there's no love making. Uh, male mounts does his thing and parts the sperm and he goes. And this is different than for humans. When, when, women have been given a duration of approximately 30 40 years of fertility where they can become mothers. 
and once a woman starts to uh, menstruate, usually a teenage girls, they're physically capable of being mothers, but it's really not time. Then sometimes in their 40s or 50s, women stop having uh, menstrual cycles. But do they stop uh, expressing love through sex? Her obviously says no. The Creator designed human sex as a means of expressing righteous, undefiled love. Humans love your wives. And also, the women love your husbands. Should a husband and wife stop loving each other after age 45 or 50? Never. Uh, so, he goes through some more about, about that. But what I, one thing I want to comment is, you know, sex is the one human experience you can have only, from a biblical perspective, with your spouse. You can talk to other people, you can eat with other people, you can work with other people, you can go to school with other people, you can play sports or other games with other people, you can attend entertainment events with other people. But one unique thing about God's plan for humans is that sex is the one activity only you and your spouse can do with you. And it should create a special bond. This is one way you're different than uh, animals and one way uh, often the world who endorses various forms of fornication and adultery. Now getting back to uh, uh, Herb Armstrong's comments here. What's the real God-ordained use of sex in marriage? The three God-ordained purposes are marriage, reproduction, in which marriage involves a blessing of God plain family life, the expression of marital love and companionship to preserve the marital bond, bond, and to safeguard the home and the family. The existence and function of sex hormones produce markedly different responses in men and women. There are differences of mental, physical, and sexual. There are responses for that mysterious, elusive, yet fascinating, something we call a sex appeal. Sex appeal can cause a man to become romantically or lustfully interested in a certain woman. It prompts a woman to become romantically interested in a certain man. The sexual love stimulant causes a man to desire to take one particular girl, not only as his wife, to share his life's problems, troubles, and successes, but also to be his companion, the mother of his children, but also to desire to take that special woman in his arms and express love and fond embrace. The same sexual love stimulant also causes a certain man to be romantically attractive to a girl, not only to want to be in his life companion, the mother of his children, the homemaker of his home, his confidant, but to desire to take him into his arms and be caressed and loved. In a truly happy marriage, sex is a stimulus for repeated kissing, romantic embraces, and lovemaking. It also serves to provide that frequent supreme expression of the consummation of love embrace in a sexual relation, which again is something you don't have with other people. This is what an all-wise loving God intended and designed it to be. This, in the marriage, bound for life, is the very creator of the most righteous, clean, and holy relationship. God made humans a physical matter, and, enjoy, and God endowed us with the right to enjoy the taste of delicious, wholesome, health-building food that we may enjoy the sight of beautiful landscapes, etc. And just as right, God created an ordained husband and wife to be joined in marriage by himself to receive uh, perhaps the pinnacle of enjoyment, the ecstasy of occasional coitus in marriage. This is a supreme expression of love between a husband and wife. 
It's entirely too intense an experience through the senses to be indulged to excess, as in all things, God's way for our maximum good is intelligent temperance. Marriage is not for children, marriage is for adults. Marriage entails assuming uh, serious responsibilities. Children don't realize this. Marriage is more than romance. It's more than daydreaming about some prince charming floating or floating around on cloud nine, being a lover's arm. Uh, something else he mentions is no wife should ever suffer from the fear of pregnancy. It's natural for every woman to want to become a mother. Prevent having children, producing a family would be a direct violation of God's commands of being fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. But to plan a family in an intelligent manner is at the time of first arrival and spacing. That's a different thing. That's in the Bible prohibits it. And much in the Bible in principle supports it. And we have a sermonette about that at uh, Bible News Prophecy Channel. We also have an article about uh, uh, birth control at the ccg.org uh, website under the question and answer section. Anyway, Herbert Armstrong says, in final conclusion, remember that sex in humans was designed and created by a never-living, all-wise God as a symbol of life and as an expression of love. The eternal God is working on his greatest and grandest purpose below. His purpose is the reproduction of his own kind, holy, righteous, perfect character, his divine family. And again, we go into this in this particular book, The Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God create anything? Why did God make you? That you may be spiritually begotten, be born in the family of God, entering the eternal living God's family. As physical reproduction is a type of forerunner of the spiritual begettal and glorification, so marital love is a type of Christ's love for his church. I hope we've covered some things so you understand, uh, again, about God's plan. God has a purpose for everything he does. We went through various purposes for sex. We went through what the Bible says is appropriate, what's not appropriate. Of course, many of you are not married, and we have a a free book on this, uh, on dating. It goes into biblical concepts about dating, some biblical ideas about dating, and more information. Again, this is available at the ccg.org website. And more on God's plan can be found in the mystery of uh, God's plan. Why did God create everything? Why did God make you? This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.